You're listening to Wake Up Call with Jennifer Jones Lee on demand from KFI AM 640. She likes to call it Friday Eve. Here's Jennifer Jones Lee with your Thursday morning wake up call. Good morning and welcome to a Friday Eve. Man, we had some big breaking news last night. Did you hear three LAPD officers are recovering after being shot in Lincoln Heights? There was a standoff that followed this. So we're going to get into that. And uh, I was listening to Conway last night. Was it like four-ish yesterday? And he was talking about the weight of the snow in the San Bernardino Mountains. I hadn't really thought about that. Like we always talk about the accumulation of snow or, uh, you know, how it's going to melt and the runoff that we're going to get. I want to talk about the weight of the snow that they're dealing with in the Big Bear-ish area. We do have more winter coming. Rain's expected across Southern California this weekend. Oh, but wait, there's more. As I look off into the distance next week, according to the National Weather Service, this ain't the end. More is on the way. Also, Governor Newsom, if you're listening this morning, because I'm sure he does, has tested positive again for the Rona. He went to Mexico. Here he had a trip to Cabo and everybody was upset because while we have winter weather emergencies here, the governor is in Cabo. Anyway, he got COVID while he was there. And... Food insecurity for military members. And I'm not talking about ones maybe that are serving in other places or something like that. It's here. And when we talk about uh, different, I don't know, diseases or things that maybe you think, oh, yeah, I remember my my grandparents or my parents saying, oh, yeah, we had to be vaccinated for the, the measles. The measles making a comeback in uh, the U.S. all over. So we'll get into all those stories in just a second. But let's start with the LAPD. Says a man who shot and injured three officers during a standoff in Lincoln Heights is dead. Commander Stacy Spell says it's not known if the man shot himself. Spell says officers were making contact with a parolee at large yesterday afternoon when he barricaded himself inside a shed. That's when canine units were called in. We know that they deployed the gas. And after the gas was deployed, then the suspect opened the door fired upon the officers and the officers returned fire. The officers were taken to USC hospital. SWAT was called in and they deployed two robots, one of which discovered the dead body. Spell says they declared a citywide tactical alert as a precaution. In Lincoln Heights, Steve Gregory, KFI News. I don't know if you were watching uh, yesterday's standoff with the guy in Alhambra that they thought was involved, that he would be the uh, the suspect in the alleged stabbing of that 17-year-old in El Sereno. Well, uh, he, they also used the robot yesterday, and it's a tiny little thing. It reminds me of something that my nephews would play with, you know, just like a remote control kind of car looking thing, but it's like a little mini tank. And it looks like it's on sort of a track. So think of a, a tank and what the, the tracks look like on the sides. But it sounds like yesterday, LAPD ended up using that thing twice. Now, Mayor Bass has spoken with the officers who were shot in Lincoln Heights and says they were talking about and asking about their fellow officers. I deeply appreciate their service and let them know that their city stands with them. And I very much look forward to their recovery. Officials say one officer was shot in the stomach, one was shot in the arm, the third was hit in the leg and uh, midsection. 
Police confirmed all three officers were canine unit officers. None of the officers' dog partners were hurt. Well, the blizzard that hit the San Bernardino Mountains has cost lives. ABC's Liz Nagy says San Bernardino County Sheriff's deputies have been doing welfare checks in the mountain communities now that the roads are clear. At least 12 people have now died since the recent snowstorms cut off mountain communities. Some people have now been stranded for weeks. One woman says her sister, who lived alone, was found in her home in Big Bear. At least one other person was also found dead at a home in the city and near Crestline. A woman who lives in Big Bear told the city council last night that a friend who lived in the area died during the storms because their home couldn't be accessed by the dialysis provider. More winter is coming. Like I said, rain is expected across Southern California this weekend. The National Weather Service says the most widespread precipitation is expected tomorrow evening into Saturday. So things are a little bit slower maybe than they thought they were, but it's not like it's not coming. Wind gusts will be strongest through the San Gregonio Pass. Snow levels will be above 9,000 feet. Avalanche warnings also will be in place for elevations above 5,000 feet. That's because we've got all that snow up there. Now you've got this warm storm coming in. It's going to melt all that snow, and that could be big trouble. A Marine veteran is back home in Orange County and says despite losing his eye during the Russian uh, attack in Ukraine, he does not regret volunteering as a combat medic. We get ambushed. We start getting hit on both sides of the vehicle with machine gun fire. Giovanni Roman was an infantry sergeant in the Marines, but this unit he volunteered for was clearing a trench in eastern Ukraine. I'm fighting, shooting out the window. The Russians shoot a rocket at our vehicle. I just remember feeling the impact and the heat on my face. He says it was pitch black during the attack on Valentine's Day. I just couldn't see. My face was on fire. Someone in the Humvee was recording. One of our Ukrainians was ejected from the vehicle. I saw the blood hitting the floor of the Humvee. I knew that was my own blood and I started throwing up. The unit finally makes it to a Ukrainian hospital. They're taking off my bloody vest and cutting off my clothes. I just felt so vulnerable in that moment. One of the nurses threw a translator, told me I lost my eye. I still have shrapnel in my right hand. I have a skull fracture. I had an epidural brain bleed. And this was the second time Roman went to Ukraine since the war started. Why would you do that? Why? Because, you know, we have it so good here, thank God. And on the other side of the world, you know, one country just decided we're taking this country, this is ours. And they're bombing civilians. They're bombing regular, normal people like us. I can't sit here watching it from my good life here with my mom, my family. So he took time off his job at an emergency room in Orange County, bought thousands of dollars of battlefield medical supplies for others and a plane ticket. Why wouldn't you help someone who needs help? Roman's headed for a third surgery. To help out, head to GoFundMe and search Help Geo Recover at an undisclosed hospital in Orange County, Corbin Carson, KFI News. And God bless that guy. You know, sometimes it's a person's resolve, that sort of inner voice that tells you, this is what I need to do with my life or I have to help or whatever it is that's unexplainable. Knowing that he was going or that he was putting himself in harm's way, he still did it. I mean, it. I don't know. Sometimes it makes me rethink. I hear those kinds of stories and I'm like, what am I doing with my life? When is that little voice in me going to come out and I'm going to say, hey, I've got to go do this. You know, something that something's going to pull at you so much. Now, community members are running a food drive in L.A. County to help people in the Marine Corps and Navy feed their families. San Dimas Rotary Club President Raymond Foster says he might never meet the families getting groceries on base 
in 29 Palms, but it doesn't matter as long as their kids are eating. We actually see kids sitting down eating that macaroni and cheese. No, but in our imaginations and in our hearts, we have our own children and we know that's what's going on. Foster says there are 22 active duty members receiving supplemental nutrition assistance program benefits. He says anyone wanting to donate food or money for the drive on March 11th can contact the Rotary Club in San Dimas. I know Handle often talks about, you know, kids. Anytime a kid goes hungry, you have to say to yourself, you know, what the hell is wrong with the world? When I see members of the military's families who are having trouble getting food, that's another one of those situations where I go, what the hell? We're not taking care of our military? Mm. All right, let's say good morning now to ABC's Jim Ryan. All right, this is another story that I think I went, what the hell? But it was a very different <laughs> one. You know, uh, wait a minute. The measles coming back? I thought that was eradicated just like two decades ago. It was. Yeah, about uh, 2000 it was declared eradicated in the United States, essentially. I mean, you're always going to have cases elsewhere in the world. And considering how extremely contagious measles is, it was bound to come back in this country. And a few cases did. A few straggling cases were brought in from them outside the United States. But they've been able to spread because of misinformation that's been out there. Measles, mumps, rubella is the vaccination that people get before they go to school. It's required in most public school districts, Jen, but parents can sign waivers and opt not to have their kids inoculated. And that's where the trouble starts. In 1998, there was a study that came out. A guy, a British uh, doctor named Andrew Wakefield, published uh, his study in the Lancet Journal. It was a loose connection between the MMR vaccine and autism. Turns out that uh, the he had a he had filed for a patent on an MMR vaccine of his own before publishing that study. Mm. He had other entanglements. Uh, the, eventually, the study was debunked by researchers. The Lancet had to pull it, had to issue a retraction. Wakefield lost his medical license because all this was happening. But in the meantime, the genie was out of the bottle. People started hearing that second or third or fourth hand, and much of it on social media. This connection between autism and the MMR vaccine. Now we're starting to see numbers come back up again, Jen. Okay, so also I had to wonder if when we went through the pandemic and there were a lot of parents who once the the vaccine was approved for kids, a lot of parents, uh, you know, I heard about uh, vaccine fatigue Mm. where they were like, I just don't want to put any more stuff in my kid's body. And I wonder if that mindset still sort of lingers, even if it might be something like the measles, but people are still like, now it's making me question everything. Well, potentially, yes. And, and the problem is that nothing is 100 percent. Right. You know, the COVID right. vaccine, MMR, people still get measles. It's something like 93, 94 percent effective. But, yeah, you've got six or seven percent of the people who might still get the measles. And it is so they, they and to some people. Well, that's proof that it doesn't work at all. Um, so and, and the numbers are widely variant. Like, in, so in 2010, there were 63 cases of measles around the U.S. The number crept up. It was 220 the next year, you know, it's a quadruple almost. Then it went back down to 55, then back up. It's almost like a game of whack-a-mole. You hear yeah. about a, an outbreak somewhere. Medical community goes in. They uh, get everybody vaccinated, get the sick people treated, and then move on to the next place. In 2019, there were 1,200 cases around the country. That was the highest number since 1992. The next year, COVID year, it went way down because we were at home. People were masking up. And so in the same way that flu numbers went down, COVID numbers were were being fought and measles numbers went down. Now they're coming back up again. Interesting. Oh, it's, you know, it's kind of an ebb and flow, I sort of feel like, with this. Jim, thank you so much. I appreciate you. Thanks, Jim. See ya.
The LAPD is expected to share more details about a developing story we had during the Gary and Shannon show yesterday morning. The guy arrested for the fatal stabbing of a 17-year-old boy in El Sereno and the stabbing of another guy nearby. LAPD Commander German Hurtado said yesterday the alleged attacker was barricaded in a home in Alhambra, but it was crisis negotiators who were able to talk him out. They were able to convince him after a couple hours that he wasn't going to be harmed, um, that he was going to be taken into custody peacefully if he surrendered peacefully. The man apparently has a history of mental health issues, and Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell fell at a hotel in Washington, D.C. His spokesman says the 81-year-old senator was taken to a hospital to be treated. McConnell was attending a private dinner last night when he tripped. Well, right now, let's say good morning to iHeartRadio's aviation expert, Jay Ratliff. Jay, good morning. Welcome back to KFI. It is my pleasure to be here. Pleasant good morning. Well, you too. So let's talk a little bit first about a story about the trade industry. And I've been seeing that nationwide, there's been an issue with getting people into different trade jobs. One of those being the aviation industry and some of the perks that are being offered now to get people into this particular industry Surprise the heck out of me. I mean, it's not just, you know, benefits and things like that anymore. I mean, we're th- these companies are really delving deep into what people really use in their everyday lives. It has shifted from where it used to be the employer that called the shots. Right. So now it's the employee that calls the shots. Because when you have airports, airlines, and, and different people associated with the airline industry saying, look, we'll provide free child care if you'll come to work here, or we will give you an iPhone, or we'll give you this perk or that perk, plus allow you pretty much to dictate what the schedule you are willing to work. It really goes to show just how desperate, and I think that's really the only word to use, uh, the industry is as far as trying to attract and retain uh, good workers. And uh, at a point right now with, you know, coming out of the pandemic, a lot of people that worked three jobs found that they only wanted to work two, or those that worked two only wanted to work one. So at a time when the demand for travel is at and past where we were many days on the pre-pandemic side of things, uh, it's very, very problematic because airlines want to operate a lot more flights than they can. But they can't because of the shortage uh, of personnel. American Airlines trimmed 55,000 flights out of their summer schedule because they did not have enough employees to meet the demand that they have. I'm impressed with LAX and SFO, California, um, some of these, the bigger airports here already seem to have the daycare provisions and things like that. So they know that if you're going to attract people to work these crazy hours like the ones I'm working right now, you better have some different perks to help them with their family life. And so those child care provisions, I can absolutely see that. But going back to what you said about the iPhone, I mean, is the iPhone going to be something that's going to get somebody to work a crazy overnight shift? I, I guess. All I think of is I'm going to give somebody an iPhone that they're going to be on it the whole time they're working with me. So hopefully <laughs> that's not what we're going to do, create that kind of problem. But, uh-huh. you know, it really it used to be when I got in the airline industry a bazillion years ago, the idea was travel around the world. It, it was the idea of being able to jump on an airplane and, and off you go. The problem is some of these flights are so filled right now because we have fewer flights in the air than we've had in recent years because of the shortage of pilots. Those flights are more filled than ever. So the idea of joining the airline industry for this glamour of travel, take off and go type of thing uh, has really been replaced with people saying, eh, I'm not really that interested in travel. 
What are the benefits that you have? And unfortunately, the airline industry is a very cheap industry. They're going to pay people as little as they can, thinking that it's going to be those benefits that are going to attract them. And what they found is that the attraction of those benefits fade the attraction to the industry has dropped quite a bit. I remember coming out of the pandemic, Southwest Airlines posted an online job opening that they would normally get 140 applicants per job posted. They were getting less than 20. The, the enthusiasm for working in the airline industry just isn't there. Okay, one thing that uh, I was saying earlier, pretty much all Californians, I feel like we either are in our cars or we're on a Southwest Airlines flight. Those are the two ways that you yep. get stem to stern in California, right? And Absolutely. I, I know that when anytime that I board a Southwest flight, it's funny. It's so ingrained in me. All right, just get on the plane, get in my aisle so that everybody else can get on. But it's the cattle call, you know, so you set mm-hmm. your alarm so that the minute your flight comes up, you can, you know, really quickly check in and hope that you're not in group C because God forbid that means you're going to get a middle seat. But Southwest is coming up with a plan that they hope will. I I think this headline is hilarious. The airline experiment to make boarding less awful. So we're coming up with ways to make it suck less. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we endure travel. We don't enjoy it. Those days are long gone. Southwest has found that if they can pre-board a little faster, it's going to allow them to turn those silver revenue tubes quicker. So as a result, they're saying, here's what we can do to try to make the boarding process faster because we're going to try to trim four or five minutes off the turn time so that we can turn that airplane quickly and get it out of that airport as fast as we can. One of the things they've come up with is they said that a lot of times in the pre-boarding, the passengers don't know where to stand. So they said what we need to do is have some specially designed carpet that's a different color that will give people a very clear indication of where they should stand and where they should not. Now, I'm thinking, has this individual ever worked in the airline industry? Have you ever been at an airport? Have you ever seen people rush the door like they're, you know, it, it just, the idea that color-coded carpet is going to tell somebody where it's okay to stand and where it's, no, people are going to disregard like that than everything else. They've also found that people aren't really reading the signs on pre-boarding and others around the gate area and in the jet bridge. So they're going to replace it with new signs that apparently they're going to end up reading. I don't know. I understand that. Southwest, which is an airline I love, they think outside the box on everything. I just don't know that this is going to be as successful as what they hope it's going to be. Because right now we have everybody and their brother wanting to pre-board with wheelchairs, 20, 30, 40 a flight. And then, of course, on the other end, only three of them need it. We call those Jesus flights because everybody gets healed on board. But the whole idea is people boarding early to try to get those better seats. I've never heard Jesus flight, but we've all been on them recently where it's like, Hold on. Sally over there in the wheelchair all of a sudden is fine at the end of this flight. This is ridiculous. Her and the 17 people traveling with her. Yes. Yes, Yes. I'm with you. Jay, I adore you. I want you to come back on Wake Up Call anytime you want. So you are so much fun in the morning. I love your energy. Hey, come on. There's too many things to be excited about to be any other way. I totally agree. Jay Ratliff is iHeartRadio's aviation expert. Have an awesome day. We'll talk to you again soon, I'm sure. You too. Thanks. See you later. Look at that. See, you guys in your cars who are still driving in like Tyler and I were this morning. I was like, mm. Then you have my energy. Tyler's energy. Let's get a woo-woo, Tyler. Woo-woo. See, even that's better than he did 20 minutes ago. And then you get Jay's energy. But I'm sorry, Southwest, if you're listening right now, and I'm sure you are, just like Governor Newsom was a second ago. In the story that Jay was referring to, not only will they have signs... In the stupid color-coded carpet, 
but you're going to have a little. Seriously? So do they think that we're all going to get in what, like a dance party? And we're going to be like, step to the beat, get on the plane. Woo. You're A36. I'm A37. We're dance party. Southwest, come the hell on. Really? I mean, good for you for trying something new. Glass half full. Let's stay positive, but please. The governor has tested positive for COVID-19 after he took a trip to Mexico. All right, so how close are we to the U.S. saying no more TikTok? Let's just ban that puppy. Well, Mike Dubusky is back with us, ABC News technology reporter. Hey, Mike, welcome back. So really, is it true? Am I going to have to take it off my phone anytime soon? I think, Jennifer, the way to think about this is that we are maybe closer to a TikTok ban than we were. But, you know, no, essentially, your your, your TikTok is safe on your phone for right now. Um, but we are kind of inching closer to that uh, potential ban idea. On Tuesday, uh, a bipartisan sort of group of lawmakers put forward a bill that basically grants more power to the Commerce Secretary to limit the reach of foreign technologies, um, which includes potentially banning them. Um, and they don't mention TikTok by name, but TikTok hangs over this conversation in a big way, obviously. Even last week, we saw the House pass a bill that was much more targeted at TikTok, granting the president uh, the potential pa power to just outright ban the app. That passed out of committee, not out of the House. But, you know, essentially, those two bills would need to be reconciled. We have some, like, legislative procedures to go through before that happens. Um, but, yeah, no, we are kind of closer than we've been, uh, we closer, certainly closer than we were two weeks ago. I know that when a lot of people think, oh, you're going to ban TikTok, that it makes sense if it's at a governmental level or something like that, and that TikTok could somehow infiltrate, you know, the U.S. when it comes to the government. But I think a lot of people, you know, my neighbors or something like that. If I'm like, oh, hey, did you see that funny TikTok video about cats or dogs or whatever? We don't think of ourselves as being part of the problem. How much of the problem are we actually? Well, I, I think that's an interesting question. There, there's two buckets of concerns, I think, that are important to focus on when we talk about TikTok. One is the information that you hand over to it, right? Every time you sign up for any app, whether it's TikTok or a domestic app, you hand over an email address and you hand over a phone number and a birthday and, you know, it's just some generalized information. The concern that these lawmakers have is that that data could find its way back to the Chinese government. The way things work in that country is that, you know, ByteDance, TikTok's parent company, if the Chinese government comes knocking, they are essentially on the hook to hand over whatever they ask for. And BuzzFeed put out a report last summer basically saying that. Not only had they done it a couple of times, but they had done it multiple times. They had done it more than once, um, which, which was a really interesting report to read. The other bucket of concern here is kind of the reverse of that, that the Chinese government could use a platform like TikTok that is very popular in the United States, 100 million users here alone, a billion in worldwide, um, to leverage Chinese messaging, right? Like they could take Chinese narratives that are favorable to the the, the party in power and to the country at large and, and use TikTok as a platform to spread those talking points. And obviously that is uh, kind of eyebrow raising for some in Washington. Well, absolutely. And so I guess um, when it comes to is there is there a way that when you or I are on TikTok or my neighbors or whatever, anybody listening this morning, is there anything that we should be avoiding or, or you know, any any concern that we should have like, ah, maybe I shouldn't follow right. this person or something like that? Great question. It's, it doesn't come down to necessarily to who you follow, but there are 
measures that you can take to protect yourself on TikTok. Uh, I didn't know this until I, I was reading up on this last night. Uh, you can browse TikTok without signing up for an account. You can browse it as a guest. Your uh, sort of uh, powers are limited on the platform. You can't post there. You can't comment. But you can, you know, scroll through TikTok and, and see the videos and, and hang out there, essentially. Uh, that's that's one way uh, to do it. You can also uh, make sure that your your data is protected uh, through thing, through like third-party apps, uh, password protectors, uh, that sort of thing, encrypted protection um, for, for your apps. Um, so there are a couple different measures that you can go through to, to make sure that your data is secure. But ultimately, yeah, I, I, I think that, you know, when you talk about uh, things at scale, uh, the Chinese government isn't necessarily concerned about like what I'm looking at on TikTok, the, the <laughs> recipes that I'm, I'm, I'm uh, saving or anything <laughs> like that. Um, but they are maybe concerned or more focused on uh, at, at scale, like the, the broader trends, uh, you know, kind of among the American population. All right. Well, in addition to all the good information, now I just want to know what you're cooking if, Ooh, if you come across any good recipes. I got recipes. some stuff to send you. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> Mike, thanks so much. You're awesome. See ya. Oh, of course. Take care, Jennifer. All bye. right. Bye. That is ABC's technology reporter, Mike Dubusky. I guess that makes me feel a little bit better. But still, I just don't like knowing that I could be kind of part of the problem or something like that. I don't know. It's not like I'm super scrolling on TikTok all the time. I'm certainly not posting anything, but I have gone down the TikTok rabbit hole. And man, you can get sucked in fast. So I get it. I get the appeal. But I almost have to make a decision in my mind, like, do I have time? To sit down because it's not going to be a 30-second scroll. It's going to be me watching reel after reel after reel. If you go to my Instagram, JJLKFI, you are going to see a picture of the newly reformed Betty White the puppy. Woo! So, Betty White, if, if you follow me on social media, uh, I, I, there's no shame in my puppy game. This dog is a freaking disaster. Muddy, messy. She jumps on everything. She eats everything. I don't know how many remotes I'm down. She wouldn't walk. She'd become like a statue. I mean, you could pull on that dog all day long. And if you got her to move, it was only so she'd throw herself on the ground on her back and give you side eye, like, bring it. Try and move me. So I finally gave up. I've never had a dog like this before. That is so undog. I guess the case may be. And so I finally got desperate. So I, I did my homework. I started looking everything up. And there's a company called Off-Leash Canine Training. Don't worry, I get, I'm, not endorsed, I'm not an endorser or anything. This was just me. So I looked up Off-Leash Canine Training. I sent them an email about Betty. And they wrote back, oh, you know what? We have a, a waiting list right now. We could probably get her in in like three, four months. I wrote back, no, you don't understand. This dog and I are going to have it out which really just means Betty wins and she looks at me like, ha-ha. So anyway, I, I, I bit the bullet. It's not cheap, but sometimes you got to do what you got to do, right? So Betty has been at reform school now for two weeks. And I got to go yesterday to her trainer, Audrey's house. And that's the picture that you'll see, Audrey and Betty. Uh, uh, first off, Betty didn't like me when I first got there. She was so in touch with Audrey. They had formed such a bond in two weeks I got there and Betty barked at me. She was like standing behind Audrey. I literally had tears like, oh my God, I made a mistake. And then I was telling Michelle and Tyler, it was like you flipped a light switch in this dog. And all of a sudden she was like, hey mom, what's up? You want to see what I've learned the last couple of weeks? Betty walks like a champion, not even on a harness, just with a little collar. 
in leash. She heals. She sits. She does place. You can sit that dog on anything, top of a table, whatever. Place, Betty, good girl. And she just sits there. And I kept saying to Audrey, who the hell's dog is this? This is not the dog that I brought you. Plus, she grew like a freaking weed over the last couple of weeks. Honestly, I, I was second guessing myself for the last couple of weeks of, did I make the right decision? It feels so bad to like drop your dog off. And, and then, but after about three hours of she and I training with Audrey yesterday, we came home, took us about two hours to get home. And we walked for an hour last night. My neighbor, Phil, was in his motorhome and we walked, we walked by him and he said, oh, that's such a beautiful picture. And I said, I'm kind of teary. This is so good. Anyway, Audrey, at off-leash canine training, you're a freaking unicorn. You've changed my world and Betty's world and made our situation so much better. And I, I just can't thank. Yes. I can't thank her enough. All right, Buster's Barn. If you don't know about Buster's Barn, it's an animal sanctuary in northern L.A. County, and it's in need of your help. It's kind of been in need for a while, but holy cow, the need is dire now. Michelle Stump is the owner of Buster's Barn. Michelle, thank you so much for your time this morning. Hi, good morning. Thanks for having us on. It's so, great. We need all the exposure we can get. <laughs> absolutely. Well, tell people what is Buster's Barn. So Buster's Barn is, we started in 2012 as Pulling for Paws, that's our corporate name, and that was a special needs dog rescue. So we were rescuing the elderly, the disabled, blind, deaf, three-legged dogs. And then in 2014, we uh, rented some farmland in Acton. So I decided to move um, and transition to Buster's Barn, rescuing farm animals. They don't get as much attention as dogs and cats do, and they, they deserve to be re um, rescued just as much. So we've been doing that since 2014, running Buster's Barn, and then we uh, relocated to Leona Valley um, almost five years ago. So, um, yeah, we go into slaughterhouses, auctions, kill shelters, you name it, and we, we take the animals that um, people eat, that most people eat, we rescue them. And where'd, where'd you come up with the idea, though? I mean, at what point were you like, hey, you know, I was, I, I don't know, there was a horse in a field near me, and I thought, man, yeah. you know, something well, like that was uh, it. Yeah. Where'd it come from? Well, we started, yeah, well, during the dog rescue, I, lo I looked around, and I thought, God, there's a lot of people rescuing dogs, and I thought, and, um, you know, why aren't people, why aren't they focused on farm animals as much? Pigs are smarter than dogs, actually, you know, and farm animals form deep bonds and lasting connections with their herd mates. I thought they deserve to be protected just as much as dogs and cats, and they're not getting half the attention. So that's what motivated me. And then, of course, Buster. Buster was the first pig we rescued. He was in singing divorce shelter, and I was rescuing dogs out of divorce. And so, of course, when I was there one day, I see Buster, and I'm like, What's this pig doing here? And, they, and then he told me about how they pick up pigs, and he was just wandering in the streets of San Bernardino. I'm like, you're kidding me. So I'm like, well, I have to save this pig. Oh, my God. So that's how it started. Um, Buster came home, and he has since passed away, but Buster was the, the motivation, and his legacy lives on here now. I love <laughs> this. So now you guys were obviously hit hard, as a lot of places were during the pandemic, but it seemed that sort of your need for some help really started there. Oh, yeah. I mean, we were struggling already. It just, oh, my God, between inflation, pandemic, we lost donors because, of course, you know, when you lose your job during the pandemic, you, you, we didn't expect them to continue to donate. But that really crippled us a little bit. I always paid for most of the costs here on my own income or my own money. But 
that hurt losing the few donors we had. And then inflation drove up hay and grain twice as much. We used to pay around $12 for a bale of hay. Now we're at 25 to $32 a bale. Um, bags of grain went up. So that was hard. Did something smart during the pandemic. Um, I, I'm a single mom. I was, you know, raising my three boys. I went online and became a massage therapist. I got certified during the COVID pandemic. So now I'm working. Um, I was already working full time before, but now I'm working every day. Um, and that's how I support the sanctuary now with my own income, a little extra now, which helped. But yeah, the storms did not help. These were ravaging storms. These they, they hammered us. We expected, you know, we expected snow. We always get snow every winter, but this was just an extreme amount between that and the heavy winds. We're in the Antelope Valley, so we get a we get oh, fifty mile man. an hour winds. Yeah. They devastate. If you don't have anything cemented down here, it's just it just wrecks it. So when we're already crippled and now we get hit by the storms, we just I feel defeated, but you know, we're not giving up. But yeah, that was hard. Um, we've got to get shelter and barns before the next winter because we just we can't have the animals going through that again. Um, that was that was hard. It was hard to watch. There was nothing I could do. You can't put up tarps when we have winds like this as temporary shelter. So you know we had to. I had to sit in the house and watch these our pigs just standing in two feet of muddy cold water all night or standing up sitting up snow because their shelters were destroyed. And, that was harsh. That are was you, painful to watch. Are you going to be able to rebuild? Or are you going to have to move to a different location? Yeah, I think now what the storm really taught us, or just with this harsh winter taught us, that we are not in the most ideal location. Um, we, we knew that. We suspected it already. But over time now, we found out that we're not in the best situation. Um, what we want to do is move. So, you know, this property has limitations. There's not a lot of parking for guests when we want to do fundraisers or events. And that limits our ability to get more funds and donations. It's all dirt. gets very muddy after rains. Um, the dirt road we live on is not easy for people to navigate and drive on. We're out where there's no reception. Um, we're also not even at 10 acres. We really need to get 10 acres or more so we can do more. Um, we also want to have overnight guests. We want to have weekend dry camping visitors. We need space for a garden to grow our own food so we can be more self-sustainable. We need to have paved areas for disabled guests in wheelchairs. Um, and we just need more space, you know? So if what, so a couple of things then I would guess. First off, you need to find the area that has that space because you have, I mean, from uh, listening to it, I'm like, she has this business model down, even though obviously this is nonprofit. I mean, you have the plan there. All you need is oh, somebody yeah. to come along and say, okay, here's where you can do it. But in the meantime, I know you have a GoFundMe page set up. And maybe if enough people start hearing this and hear your need and think to themselves, I want to get behind this and help them. Tell me more about the GoFundMe page. Yeah, the GoFundMe, there's a link that you'll have on your website. Yeah, that is generated. Um, initially, we started out for rebuilding, and we'll use a lot of that for rebuilding barns. And even if we rebuild here at our current location, we'll build structures that can be moved. They can be hauled to a new location, so they're not going to be permanently um, fixated here. Um, our goal, though, is to raise enough money so that we can relocate to a place that is better accommodates a sanctuary and better accommodates visitors. The goal is to be sustainable and to be able to have fundraiser events and have more of the public come here where we're at locally we have local neighbors come and we open the sanctuary up um for free to just local neighbors and community members who come like on mother's day we had families come with their kids who didn't have a lot of money didn't really have time to go somewhere and do something uh, spectacular for mother's day and they 
came here because um, our focus on our sanctuary is rescuing moms and babies. So hence Mother's Day was a big deal for a lot yeah. of families to bring their kids here and moms, especially single moms. I'm big on empowering women and empowering single moms because I am one and I know how hard they struggle. So if we can offer somewhere for them to come and visit with their kids and interact with animals and, you know, see that animals have these special bonds between one another that people don't think farm animals do. So that was something we um, offered. We also have an orchard here. And when it, um, when we have harvest time, we um, donate free peaches and plums and apples to single moms and lower income families. So that's something we want to keep going as well, even at a new location. All right. We like to have an orchard or plant an orchard. Anybody who's listening right now, I think probably at the end of our talk wants to go to you for a massage. They want to help Buster's Barn. They want to donate to the GoFundMe. <laughs> at least if they're anything like me, this is what I've got out of this. And you're an inspiration. Thank you so much for what uh, you're doing, Michelle. Thanks. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And we're going to put all that information up on our website. And also I'll put it up on my social media as well. JJLKFI and Jennifer Jones Lee on uh, Facebook. You've been listening to your wake up call with me, Jennifer Jones Lee. And you can always hear wake up call five to 6 a.m. Monday through Friday at KFI AM 640 and anytime on demand on the iHeartRadio app.